Good morning. Uh, my name is Laurie Prince. I serve as one of the women shepherds here. Let's turn our attention to the reading of God's Word, which occurs in Paul's letter to Titus. This morning we start in the first chapter after the salutation with verse 5 through 11. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, mm -hmm. self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. The reading of God's word. Good morning again. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Love you too, Mr. Charles. <clears throat> and we continue in our sermon series in the book of Titus. And just a quick review of last week's message entitled Primary Care for Our Spiritual Dysfunction. The church and believers on the island of Crete were in crisis mode, from what we can tell as they were not super developed in how to live out their faith. As a result, apparently all kinds of theology and leadership styles and religious practices and spiritual abuses began to sprout. So the Apostle Paul, and by apostle, it means someone who was specially commissioned by God to write scripture and build the church and the Christian faith as we know it, out of what Jesus came and did. This apostle writes this letter to his son in the ministry, Titus, on how to bring healing and wholeness and much-needed spiritual adjustment and correction to the Cretan believers and churches. And his first instruction to Titus was to put into place and call into place elders or overseers for the church who would serve as spiritual caregivers. Now, these pastoral epistles, they are called, Titus being one of them, serve as uh, measuring sticks and character standards uh, for those who might serve as pastors and elders and deacons and church leaders. And for this reason, it, is import it was important that Titus the one who was sent to authorize and then ordain them to carefully and wisely pay attention and, and judge accordingly to the qualifications for being spiritual caregivers that the apostle wrote here. And yes, we could take this sermon time 
to get all the information and for some the ammunition necessary to challenge and judge or for our present church leadership, in particular our elders and pastors to judge themselves and feel all unworthy and condemned. Trust me, going through this this week was not easy for me. And while I think it's important to check yourself, as the Bible commands according to these things and according to our church government, be informed enough to nominate dudes who you think fit these qualifications, while being comfortable, right, and confident about who is leading you spiritually. Today, though, I want against everything in you and me to not start building a list of judgments and self-judgments, but rather to see why having spiritual caregivers like the elders, like those characterized here, is something we should see and can see as a gift from God for our souls, for our lives, and that we should not only accept it, but be embraced by and honored to have these gifts in people available to us. So we will cover the real issues surrounding spiritual abuse and ignorance and spiritual malpractice. We'll talk about some of that next week. But I wanted to make a quick stop here that you would be blessed to know that God is calling and has called leaders, elders and pastors in your church, in your spiritual lives to be the kind of people who can provide caregiving for your souls in three ways I want us to explore today. First, to provide Spiritual caregiving through paternal care, number one. Number two, personal care. And finally, protective care. Paternal, personal, and protective care. The phrase here that repeats in this Titus passage and qualifies the character and life of an elder or leader of God's church is the phrase above reproach. You see it starting off sentences that lead in the qualifications. Translated, that word means blameless. And blameless means translated blameless. I tried to find something else, right? It means they cannot have a rap sheet. That they don't have open accounts or open charges or open accusations or proven evidence of witnessed unfaithfulness to what he says he believes. It's not mere accusations as you look at the other pastoral letters. It's proven, supported, and confirmed moral, spiritual, or ethical failure and blame that is not resolved, not disciplined, not dealt with. Like an obvious unattended wound to the character and trustworthiness of the person, not just in the church world, but seen as an ethical person in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the community. So you can't just be a holy person in here, playing church in here, playing good church man in here. While above reproach does not, if you study the word meaning, mean perfect, as in how we'll be when we get to heaven. It does not mean perfect. It does mean 
that there should be nothing that makes someone say God and the gospel and Jesus can't be true or that would make it seem like God is mistaken and fooled and, and like a parent who doesn't know what is good for his own children. Like God has picked the babysitter, if you will, that doesn't pass a background check. It says, and speaking of children, rather, this blamelessness for the elder starts right at home, doesn't it? Look at verse 6 with me. If anyone is above reproach, and it kind of explains what it means by above reproach to some degree, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. It says that he should, not, that he should be the husband of one wife which means he should not have or be a man with obvious split affections or split commitments or be triple-minded or hearted, right? He shouldn't be a rolling stone or a player, right? And not just being faithful in the traditional sense of just not cheating, but it says husband of one wife. Not just have one wife. And it doesn't mean that he must be married, Right? But the one, but the one wife in his life, he must be a husband for. He must be, he uses the term, the man, right? He must husband her. The word more often is translated man, husband, more than husband, but it means he must be committed to her flourishing, right? To her having companionship in you to her survival, to her feeling fully human, to her, if you look up what husband means, for her feeling dignified and respected because of the way you treat her. The husband of one wife, not a man who just has a wife. And then, as part of being blameless is the same, in the same sentence, his children, must be believers and not obviously wild and loose living. And y'all, this is a very sensitive passage, right? We know about PKs, right? If you're a PK, you, you, you probably lived that definition out sometime in your life, right? And I know our elders and some of the situations they've had with children, adult children, all kind of stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't really know uh, many elders in our churches who don't have some issues with their children. So what's going on here? I want to be very careful. I agree with the commentator that this applies to children still under your authority. Some people say it goes into adulthood, right? I, I, I don't, I kind of feel it's more under their authority that aren't adults, it means that you have answered the call, hear me carefully, you've answered the call to shape and lead them, right? And lead them in a biblical way. You are raising them as believers and they are walking as believers, right? Going to church, going to Sunday school, praying, believing in God, and it should not be apparent, hear me, in your children's behavior that they have not been fathered or parented. Let me say that again. It should not be apparent in their behavior or behavior patterns that they have not been fathered or parented. 
Now, you can go to Target, give you an example. How many times you've been to Target and you see a toddler crying, yelling, falling all over the ground, right? Mom's in there, dad's in there, and ah, right? Got the hand and just twisting around, right? And then Target don't help putting the candy right on the checkout aisle, right? I told y'all, when we would go to Target or Walmart or one of these places, I would prepare my boys right away, right? And I would say to them, we, we had a little thing. Boys, what are y'all getting? And they would answer, nothing. <laughs> and I would ask them again, boys, what are y'all getting? Nothing. What are you going to ask for? Nothing. And as a father, I know. When they see that, they'll be like, Dad, I know you said nothing, but I didn't expect that thing to be here. Right? And neither did you. In your definition of nothing, there is no way in your mind you didn't see the watermelon or cherry or grape flavored this. But you see these kids all over the place, falling on the ground. And that might be, uh, and, you, and it's easy to look at them and say, man, they don't know what they're doing. Right? When I was a kid, man, my mom wouldn't let, come on, you acted up too. Now, sometimes your parents got to the thing quicker, right? They would stop shopping, take you to the bathroom, and you used to come out good. Right? What happened in there? Like an exorcism, or something, I don't know. Somebody laid hands on you in Jesus' name. You came out. And you're like, thank you, I needed that discipline. I needed it because I was losing my mind, right? The crying and acting up in rebelliousness may be a sign of good parenting, not bad parenting. Not bad parenting because they are acting up, right, and you're ignoring them to a point, but it may be good parenting because a rebellious, it's a rebellious reaction to good authority. So let's be careful in this passage here. Because you said no. Not bad parenting because they are acting up and you are ignoring them to a point, right? A momentary flare-up. But this kind of rebellion the apostle is talking about is more like the parenting that lets their, tar their toddler enjoy Target. Loosen there. Let's them get everything. Kids grabbing candy and opening it up right there. Right well, I guess we got to pay for it. It's okay, honey. You can just grab what you want. And if you open it and eating it, by the time we get there, as the parent, I got to pay for it. Wow, which one is rebellious? Bad parenting lets them get everything they want, and now there's no respect for who you are no respect of the rules, and no respect of who God is. That's what this passage is talking about. Because some of you parent your kids, and because you're parenting them and telling them about the Lord, they're acting crazy. Not acting crazy because you haven't been good parents. There's more to it, but that's another sermon on parenting. 
I don't even know if I'm the one to preach it, but there's another one. I want to basically make this point here that an elder, pastor, leader is basically called to be fatherly. Do you see that? And what do I mean by fatherly? Catholics call their priest what? Father, right? And um, it's a shame that that term father triggers anyone. And that is so much of the problem. I apologize. But a father is anything but a father in the biological sense when you call a priest father, right? Why do you call a priest father in the Catholic church when they can't even be married? He's the one called to give the gift of paternal care for people's souls. Not just living as an example of someone who personally believes it, but beyond it in that to be a father for the spiritual life of God's people. In another pastoral letter from Paul, he says almost the same thing about an elder managing his household well. And he adds this, how can he manage God's house if he can't manage his own? And this isn't God or Paul simply trying to snap on somebody or or drop the mic on someone. He is saying that God wants to provide good paternal care in the lives of people who are his one bride and cherished children. Do you get it? You know what God the Father calls his church, his people? The bride of Christ. That his people are metaphorically and spiritually really engaged to be the Lord's. And so he's gifting the church. Do do you see the parallel here between the husband of one wife? He is gifting the church with leaders who have the gift, who have the heart, who have the tendency, who are bent towards being a one bride husband and father. Like a father who loves and presents his daughter as worthy, who walks her down the aisle with pride, giving us to the one who loves us, Jesus, and like a husband to the church to God's people who is someone who is single-minded and committed and not playing the field and distracted on the needs and beauty and holiness and wholeness and you feeling and knowing you are beautiful and loved and respected by God. That is why an elder should be the husband of one wife. Because he's called and God has gifted you to have a caregiver who is committed to you as a one husband to one wife and is committed and loving you as the one bride that is loved and cherished and who God is jealous for and one who's being prepared to be fully God's. But the same is true and makes sense as to why it's important that his children act and respect the faith as well, right? You are, the Bible says. If you're a believer, you are in the household of faith if you are the Lord's. And you know what that means? You should therefore not be left living and being treated like an orphan. Like you don't have a father. Like you don't have any home training. Like like you are unkept. Hear this, that God is too busy dealing with himself to watch over you. And the elder, the overseer, God is gifting fatherhood in their caregiving, right? Someone who would be committed to not letting you out of their sight, right? Uh, to, to let you just roam the target of the world, right? For your safety, who will put you in your safety before their personal stuff. 
who set up their schedules and lives to make sure you grow up well, right? God is calling elders to be the kind of people who can teach and instruct those young and babies in the faith into belief and to help bring those who are broken and confused with fatherly care, right? You can come back home to come back in and to sometimes say no. And sometimes the others say yes, and to be patient. And hear this, too, like some of us have to do as elders, and it's happened to me, as elders have had to care for me, right? To wait out your tantrum. Like a good parent. To know some things are hurting in your life. To as a good parent, no. Sometimes you want some things more than you want Jesus. But we trust Jesus for you. And you know what we're going to do? Wait the tantrum out. Hold on to your hand and let you twist and turn in the aisle. To let you struggle. With some things being No. But some things not being good for you that are so delicious, but will kill you, right? Oh man, this Clorox looks good, right? Kids do crazy stuff. If you don't have an elder, you are susceptible. You don't have no childhood locks on nothing. You just drink it and spray in all kind of stuff. Mixing it up. Oh, this is great. What? Some things just not good. It's nasty. And we just were there to provide, as scripture says, like we do in our own families and should be, we should be that in God's church. To see your future, oftentimes better than you do. You ever talk to your kids? What do you want to do? I don't know. What you want to be? I don't know. I'm going to be a movie star, right? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, and, 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 and like the prayer today, you know, they want Elliot to be six foot three. If Elliot turns out to be five foot nine, he ain't playing for the Hornets. Probably. He could. He might be different. But to sometimes say, with you where you are. You have a destiny in Christ Jesus. You don't see it, but I see it for you. And you know how sometimes parents, when they come to that bottom line, if you in my house, you're going to do your work, right? Because I see your potential. I don't even care if you don't see it. I see it, and you're going to obey, right? And I don't want to sound mean to y'all, but I'm just saying like sometimes, and it's happened in my life, praise God for an elder who saw potential and destiny in Christ better than I saw it because sometimes I go off the rails. I got elders too. I want candy too. The world is target for me too and Walmart and crazy big lots, everything. Well, you go down the aisle, you've been to that place. What's that place? In home? Is that the place we went the other day? At home? Lord, have mercy. You ever been in there? There is no way. It is a warehouse of discontentment. <laughs> you, you go in there, it's like uh, three football fields of Pier 1, right? Three football fields of Kirkland's. Three football fields of already put together Ikea. You can't do it. I'm, I'm going too far. This ain't none of this written. And it's, it's getting late. 
Sometimes we see your future and oftentimes better than you do as one loved and who's destined to grow up into spiritual maturity, life, and health. Paul says, the hope of eternal life. Sometimes I look at y'all, and, and it ain't me. It's God using me to see you because I don't always see me because I need an elder to see me. Even though I see y'all, and I'm like, look at that person. They have the hope of eternal life in them. Even when they, you know, we got to call them or talk to them because something's going wrong in their life. You know what? We see the hope of eternal life in you. Just like you do your own kids. Just like everybody. We, we, we got a football star. You don't know, but you got the hope, right? God is giving an elder spiritual fathering and husbanding, y'all. It is a gift, and he has gifted certain men who are that in their personal, personal family lives by grace to be that for the church as well, for you and me. And there is no need for you, like the Cretans did for a while, to live like a fatherless child and to live like you are a bridesmaid and never the bride. To live like some sort of unwanted, no destiny having reject. And the reason you and I may be feeling that way and thus living like we are no, have no homing and no home, no household spirituality and social, and, social, and social life is because we have yet to submit and lean into or be part of a community of faith with these gifts and calling for these gifts are present. How many folk, they just, they're just there for a personality but not a father. They're there for a show. Look, when you come here on Sunday, my hope is that you either, you're visiting because you already, you're just visiting, you're spending the night, right? You're just here visiting as a household, but you got a home to go to. This is not a movie theater. This is a family gathering of a household of faith. And when I preach the word, that's what I'm doing. Welcome to a family discussion for those who are outside of it. Not a show. I'm not a rolling stone. As a pastor called here, I'm like, I'm here. I'm stuck. I'm with y'all. Y'all stuck with me. Here we are. Family. Work it out. And it's hard because you and I are in the modern Western world. And for good and, and, and bad reasons, you know, and, and, and some of this was written in an in, in honor-shame uh, culture, a, a Mediterranean culture of that time. And so when they talked about children being rebellious or, or doing their own thing, it was like struck to like the vitals of what it meant to be holy and be right. But in our day in the Western culture, independence is honored and praised. And it crosses over into your spiritual life where you think, you know, hashtags and, and loving and liking things, right? And, 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 and being a part of this group or any kind of social media is, is, is belonging. And, and, and scripture saying, no, independence in this sense is bad. And we're not ashamed. You go to church? No, nah, I don't do that. In this culture that he's writing... It would be crazy for you not to have a household. It wouldn't be something you would brag about. I'm doing it on my own. What? Are you crazy? Now it's not shameful. Now it's shameful to be dependent. Isn't that crazy? How's that American spiritual free marketing working out for us? Not so good, because strange enough, it doesn't lead to freedom. <laughs> you slaves all kind of things. You got lots of slave masters. Instead of just belonging to one family, 
Next week. Next week we'll get into that. Oh, my gosh. Okay, let me keep going. But God has given us the gift of paternal care, but not just paternal care, but through excuse me, spiritual caregivers, God gives us the gift of personal care. Y'all going to like this one, right? Because y'all want to be all personal, right? This is good. This is good. Look at verse 7 and 8 with me. For an overseer, overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, a quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. I'm just going to stop right there. Now, we'll break down some of the signs and behaviors of spiritual abuse more next week. But what we have, that, but we have a list of five negative character traits and behaviors in verse 7. You see that? And then six positive traits in verse 8 for what spiritual caregivers should avoid and then what they should display. Without dissecting each vice and virtue, and we can do that, but we're not going to do that because we've got to go home today. I want, you, I want you to know these are common attributes and things to look for in public leaders. Right? So who, 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 who we vote for, who we support, who we think should lead us, this, this list should look like this in the Greek world. He's just saying basic, right? They can serve in public office, right? Much less elders in God's church. The apostle is giving a list of things that regular Greek politicians, a public officer should have. And yes, this is about God marketing, right? That Jesus truly produces people who actually live the gospel and are transformed by it. To look and say, wow, look at this person's life. The gospel really works. Look how they're doing things. They ain't acting crazy. They're in the girl. Wow, it works, right? And Titus is saying we should see that exemplified and, and, and epitomized and modeled in leaders in God's church in public. But more so, hear this, that they can be a trusted care for us personally. Everything in, li in the list in verse 7, if you look through it, says what? The negative list. Selfish. Me. My needs. My fun. I want to live my life, right? I can't be responsible for anyone else but myself. I am looking to feed and promote myself. And we're going to get to more of this next week. And then in verse 8, it says self-controlled and disciplined. Those two words are there, which means I am going to and able to control myself. I am going to give myself and my desires and stop myself for the sake of something and someone outside of me for the safety and care for someone who is not me. I will subject myself and my desires for their care and not just let myself go off on them or over them for myself. And it makes complete sense. Why hospitable is the first word in verse 8, the positive list. Y'all, I'm doing a little teachiness here. Okay, a little teaching. Hang in there. Man, that coffee empty too. I'm trying my best to keep you awake. Somebody was like, I gotta get some more coffee. Oh no. Ah! Not gonna make it. It makes complete sense why hospitable is the first word. Here's the question Is there the overseer's space and a safe space created by the life and leadership there for you? 
Is there anyone who is called, sent by God, gifted to you by God, to have space and personal bandwidth to welcome and invite you in? Who has made space, right? Hear this. By denying their desires, right? By denying being able to live the way they want to live, right? To to being sober, to to not being so turned by, by what's on TV that they can't call you back. Trust me, it's a real thing to want to get through and binge on a show. I know, right? When I want, man, come on, I'm in the middle of a good show. Here comes the plot. So-and-so need help. Ah, right? For you to feel like you can let down your guard and trust them, to turn the spotlight off of them and onto you. To be able to be gentle and merciful and not running roughshod and bullying because you are more, because you are more important to God and them than they're being honored. But to give space and fatherly authority for questions and confusions and even your rebellion. That they say, no, this can't be a part of my life. Because if I have this in my life, the people under my care won't fit. And I need them to fit. I don't need all the seats of care and, and, and concern filled up with my life. Because God's called elders to care for you in that seat. That's what the character piece is. To not not be so megalomaniac. When you come into the room and it's all about that person in every way. Their schedule. Right? Their vocation. Right? The, 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 The things they like to do, their hobbies. It's not so crowded. Because they say, I love God's church and I love God's people and call to do it. So it's not too crowded for you. And this is the rare gift of spiritual caregiving that God is calling for and providing by grace in and through and by the leadership and eldering in the church. And it's a, and it's a plural, plurality of leaders. So no one's calling one elder to have all the space in their schedule or time, right? But, but and not that we shouldn't all be in a place, right? You, to create space within our lives, emotionally, spiritually, and physical, that we should be caring for each other. Yes, you should. But that is what elders do and who they are. They push themselves aside and put in place to put in place to make time and space for you and me. You know why? So you and I can be known and engaged. Look at verse 5 again. This is why I left you in Crete, Titus, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. In every town, some translations, in every household, and other parts of it, other pastoral epistles. Now, hear me. The structure, right? The pragmatism behind having an elder for every town or household is so that the elder can know his people. Right? And his people to know that he knows them and so that they can be known in their personal circumstances, in their histories, and in their stories. 
And not just one. We talked about this this morning in new members class. Where there's only one personality holding the whole church together. Y'all, I'm going to say this. And I don't necessarily want this to happen. But if I'm gone, Christ Central Church should stand strong. Because there's an elder among the households in this church. It's not just one. Again, this isn't, this isn't a, a theater where, oh, Pastor Brown, if, if it weren't for him, there would be no church. It's a lie. But how many churches are built around a personality that if that person isn't there, it's gone, which is a sign that it isn't biblical, which is a sign that you aren't really known. And your only calling is not to be known, but just to know how incredible and awesome that person is. If I don't know you, right, in a way I'm supposed to, because I can't know everybody in here, like, on the same level, right? But if my life is only committed about you knowing me and being impressed with me, that ain't biblical eldership. You the show, right? You're why we show up, not me. And I got to fight sometimes. I'm like, man, been a hard week. I hope I preach a good sermon so I can feel better. What? Stupid. <laughs> Unbiblical. Wrong. I hope people like me afterwards. Who cares if they like you? Are they known? Do you speak and give application that makes sense? Like you've heard their stories. And sometimes I preach and I get sermon stuff because I pastored you during the week. Do you know where it comes from? I got these theology books and y'all, that's some dry bread. Ain't no meat, ain't no cheese on that thing, ain't no mayonnaise. I'm just chewing through it theologically, intellectually. On Monday afternoon or Tuesday, whenever I do my reading, I'm like, just like I'm about to choke on that stuff. I'm about to jump out the windows crazy. But then, oh, and this sounds crazy, and I don't mean to be sadistic or anything, but it's sort of like, here comes an email or a text, somebody having a hard time, or, or a story or a testimony or a problem. Oh, yeah, now that dry bread makes sense. Now the word opens up. I can't look at the word just for the word. I can do that and just major in English. I should have just gotten a PhD in English. But as an elder in God's church, man, the word only makes sense, right? That much more in his living as it's being used and called to make sure you're known and you're addressed and the application of God's word goes to your households. Okay, I'm way off. God doesn't want his people to believe he doesn't see them or know them personally, that he doesn't see all your hurts and pains and stories. So he invites you into a household of faith so she can be personally known. So you can bring your pains. It's the gift of God to you to your spiritual care, for your relationship with him, for your well-being provided through and charged to the elders and spiritual leaders of the church, that God wants his people in the know. He wants you in the inner circle. And this is why, just practically, you don't see it. We hadn't advertised it a lot, but you're broken down in parishes if you join Christ Central. You have elders and women shepherds and deacons all over you. And in session meetings, we have certain times where we go through that whole list and say everybody's name. 
Look, how they doing? How they doing? How they doing? How they doing? Right? And we're finding better ways to do it. Okay? So we're trying. But that's the goal. And that's why you're broken up in in what we hope. We have multiplying community groups. Just a reminder, that's why our community groups, let me say this very clearly, do not belong to group members. Group members belong to community groups. Even if the name of the group is a so-and-so group, it don't belong to them. The community groups are a ministry of the elders, of the church, to care for you. Not for you to gather together and be in a gang, but to make sure you're known. We don't really want community groups to be more than 15 people. Some of y'all groups giant. Y'all like little churches. And that's a problem. Right? And we try, we're going to do what we can. We're sorry that community groups have ballooned to 20, 25, 30. That's ridiculous. Nobody can be known then getting the same problem. The community group got to have community groups. That's, that's crazy. I talked to Mark Upton, the pastor at Hope. If you want to get in a good community group ministry, man, they're oh, they good at it. And I learn a lot from him. He says if a community group ain't multiplying after three years, they shut it down. So if you're a community group for three years and you ain't produced another community group, and you just balloon into 30 or 40 people, it's a sign that it's personality-centered, issue-centered, because y'all all in there mad together at something. <laughs> so, look, I've been doing this a while now. Like, I've been doing this thing, you know, going on 20-something years now, pastoring. I know when a community group don't multiply, they in there talking about stuff they shouldn't be. You don't think I know? Complaining about things, gathered around an issue, not the word of God, not each other. Not, elders have a hard time getting into these community groups. Elder visit, uh-oh, will we do wrong? Well, you shouldn't be thinking that. It ain't your group. It belongs to the elders, if you will. Because our job is that you would be known. Just a little thing there. More often than not, many of you staying away because you don't want to be known. I'm not taking the blame for this. Um, you know, we, we, we can't find community. Some of you, it's very hard to find community. You don't know what's out there. And we're working our best to try to get that for you to be known and find a place and people to know your story because and, and, that's what we're called to do. But some of y'all, you don't trust what it means to be known. Why? Because you won't keep living your life the way you want to know. Live it. You don't want people to know what kind of relationships you're in. That's true. You don't want people to know what's really going on. And part of that is a misunderstanding of the gospel. Why do we want people to know even your messed up stuff? Not so we can isolate you, but so that we can bring you in and care for you and walk with you and hold your hand while you're having a tantrum, while you're eating that lollipop you ain't paid for, right? We, we ain't going to leave you. Mama ain't never left nobody. One time my brother Terrence, he was begging for candy, and mama told him no like 10 times. I was there. I was a good older brother. <laughs> we are walking to the car, and he's lagging a little bit behind, and his mouth is just chewing. We said no. Mama said no. He was like, I still wanted it. 
So I got it. If we find you in that situation, she, didn't, she wasn't like, sorry, leaving you here. She said, get in the car. When you get home, we'll teach you something, right? I don't think you got a spanking. It was too late. Like, yeah, I, I can't remember. But she didn't leave him. Look, I'm not going to get too much in protective care because I need to land this plane. Look at verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction to sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And he talks about, in verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are unsettling whole families by teaching the shameful game what they ought not to teach. And let me just quickly go through this because we're going to pick up some of this next week. My son did a project on the dark web and I read part of the term paper. Good stuff, Clark. He ain't in here. The spiritual world is a dark web, y'all. And more than anything, they want to steal your identity to get their hands on your benefits. You know what elders are here to do? To remind you of the benefits by being the ones who know what God has written the best for your sake so that you wouldn't lose track of the benefits you have in Christ Jesus, that you wouldn't fail to see the grace and love God has for you, that you wouldn't lose your identity. This world wants to take it. They want to take your benefits, and we want you to know. We want to help protect those benefits. If you are alone, you're not in a church, no elder knows you, you're going to get taken. I, not, I, I looked in the scripture, I, I, and just in my years of experience in ministry, I don't know a solitary believer that stays believing or continues to live according to the benefits that Christ has given. You know what it means? You lost. I'm not going to fudge. You lost. And you're going to get lost. And you're going to be taken. And let me tell you, I'm not saying that to drop the mic again or to snap on y'all. I'm hurting for that. Because I've been alone. It's terrible. God is the good parent, and it's like a lost child. He doesn't want you alone. He doesn't want you taken anymore. He wants you in a place of protection. And don't fool yourself into thinking you know better and you can do it on your own. It's impossible. It doesn't work like that. So he's given us the gift of protective care. When you're alone, you start to believe stuff you shouldn't believe. You, you know how many times I've heard? I'm like, what? how did you believe that? Well, Pastor Brown, it was just me and God and the Bible on the back porch and this is what I came up with. <laughs> You came up with poison. You, you, you came up with destruction, self-destruction and other destruction. Who told you that? Stop living a solitary life. God has given you care, a spiritual caregiving for your soul that you would not be lost so that you would be known 
so that you would see yourself in the family of God's care. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. for caring for us, for spiritual caregiving. We might say we don't need it, but we need it. Thank you for the gift of elders, and I do pray for the elders who, and leaders in our church, spiritual leaders, elders, women shepherds, deacons, Bible study leaders, community group leaders, all at different levels here, who feel condemned by this, possibly. I pray that Satan wouldn't take hold of what is of, of their hearts and lives in ways that aren't true. Call them to encouragement that they are a gift and the one who gives the gift gives the grace. Give them grace. Give us grace. We failed. We're not perfect. We're blameless only because you're blameless in calling us to do it. Thank you for the opportunity to care for God's people and I pray that God's people would see it as a gift to be cared for. I ask and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.